Hi, everyone. Welcome to Tea and Tehillim. I invite all of you to have your Tehillim open and, of course, your favorite midnight snack. Tonight, we're going to be learning Perak Sadi Beis. Perak Sadi Beis is a Perak that we say on Shabbos. We say it in Kabbalah Shabbos, and we say it after Shachrit in the Shir Shalyom of Shabbos. And the Perak is kind of divided into two parts. The first part is about praising Hashem, and the second part teaches us about the concept of good things happening to bad people and bad things happening to good people, otherwise known as Tzadik Viralo, Russia Vitovlo. So what's the connection? The question is, what's the connection between praising Hashem and understanding the philosophical concept of why good things happen to bad people and vice versa? So we're going to see the answer to this question tonight in the Pesukim, which um, will be very interesting. And also, after the Perak, I'm also going to teach you a very important exercise that will save you a lot of money in therapy bills. So let's begin. Pasuk Aleph, Mizmar Shir Lioma Shabbos, a song for the day of Shabbos. Okay, so what's the connection between this Perak and Shabbos? That's the first thing that we're going to address. So the story goes that Adam sinned, Adam Harishon, Adam wrote this Perak, okay? And why did he write this Perak? Because he sinned. And because he sinned, he was expelled from Gan Eden late in the day on the sixth day of creation. And Hashem wanted to kill him for the sin. But what happened? Shabbos came, and Shabbos had a, a really good argument. Shabbos said, Hashem, no one got killed on the first six days of creation. Why should killing begin on my day? This is the holy day. Is this my sanctity? So when Adam realized that he was spared, his life was spared because of Shabbos, he sang this parak. Pasuk Beis. Tov lahodos l'ashem ulezamer l'ashem ha'elyon. It is good to praise Hashem, to sing praise to your name. So tov lahodos l'ashem is specifically referring to Shabbos because it says mid mashir liyom Shabbos. So specifically on Shabbos, it's good to praise Hashem. Why? Because Shabbos is our day of rest. It's our day when we have time to ponder all the beautiful creations that Hashem made, to ponder the greatness of his ways, and our soul is liberated from the busy work of the week. So we can really meditate on these things. It's as simple as that. Pasuk Gimel. To proclaim your kindness at daybreak, your faithfulness each night. Here, in this Pasuk, we're going to answer the question that we posed in my introduction. For those of you who weren't here, just to recap the question, the question I asked before we started the Perak was, what is the connection between the first part of the Perak that speaks about praising Hashem and the second part of the Perak that speaks about Tzadik Viralo, Rasha Vitovlo? Okay, so here, here in these words, we're going to find the answer. So, to talk about Hashem's kindness during the daytime. The daytime here is referring to the times in our life that are good, that are happy, that are going well, the times where we could see Hashem's hands so clearly. Okay, so the beginning of the parak is Keneged, is that's what that's talking about. It's talking about the halal, the praise that we sing to Hashem when things are going well. And the second part of the parak is the emunascha balelos, 
in the night, we need emuna. We need emuna in the nighttime when we're not sure why Hashem is doing what He's doing. Hashem, why are you punishing people who are tzaddikim, and why are you being kind to the rishaim? What's going on here? That's Lila. That's the light is off. I don't know. I can't see anything. The light is off, and I'm confused. And that is when I need my emuna. So to, to, so to understand now the connection between the first part of the parak and the second part of the parak is that when we do the lahagid baboker chasecha part, in other words, and I, at the risk of repeating myself, I'm going to bring this up, just remind you that I, we discussed different ways of doing this, of doing this lahagid baboker chasecha. We discussed what I told you, my personal way, that I have an evidence note in my notes app, in my phone, it's called evidence, and I write down there whenever things happen to me that I feel the hand of Hashem. And, I'm paying, and because I have that note in my app, I'm attuned to it, I'm paying attention to it, and it's this, literally, this one thing turned around my entire life because now my life, my whole frame of vision is different. I'm looking for good things now. So when you focus on good, more and more good comes into your life, and that's exactly what's been happening, which is why I am so passionate about this idea, and I'm so passionate about this pasuk. So we want to either have an evidence list of the kindnesses that Hashem gives us. Before Pesach, we spoke about speaking about Hashem's little tiny hugs and kisses that he sends, even amidst a difficult crisis that we're going through. Um, we could sit around the table and talk about Hashkacha practice stories. Children love that. They, lo- they feel so safe when everyone's talking about all the ways that they're being taken care of from Hashem. Okay, so when we do, now going back to the connection here, when we do Lahagid Baboke Chasecha, we develop a very intimate bond with Hashem. And that intimate bond is going to fortify us Balelos. It's going to give us Emunatcha Balelos. That's exact, that intimate bond that you forge when you speak of Hashem's kindness and when things are good is exactly what you need to give yourself a muna at night. And why is this? It's because a person who takes this advice and he talks about the kindnesses that he's getting and he focuses on it, that person has so much proof under his belt. He has so many moments of perception in his life where he sees unbelievable miracles and the minute he starts paying attention to it, he's drawing more and more in, and he's noticing more, and he's noticing more. That by the time something difficult hits him, he's so 1,000% sure that this difficulty is coming from that same loving father who sent him all those miracles. Like a human father, a fa- like take a human father who punishes his child, and if the child is, let's say, he, you know, he's, he's speaking... Um, he's consequencing his child. I don't like to, word, to use the word punishment. And a child who's grateful, a child who's not entitled, who's aware of the love of the father and what all the goodness that the father does for them, that child will be okay. He'll be able to handle that he got up to his father a little upset, that he ruffled his father's feathers, that he has to go to sleep a little early tonight. He'll be able to handle it. Why? Because he knows. He's so clear. This is coming for my best interest. This is coming for my loving father. So interesting to note that the word boker is in singular and the word lelos is in plural. What's, this, what's the deal with that? Okay, so boker, mourning, when we talk about Hashem's gift that he gives us, then all the things that happen in our life 
good and bad, are all boker for us. It's all the morning because we know where it's coming from. But a person who's not connected in this way, it's, there's so many lelos. He has so, he's going to experience too many nights. Okay. And this is a concept I just want to say. I was repeating over this year beforehand to a friend of mine who also went through similar training as a coach that I did, and we learned the same ideas together. And we've been learning for a long time these ideas, and they changed our life. And she said to me, she said, Yal, are you sure? Like, they're not going to really understand how true this concept is until they do it. They just, they're not going to get it. They have to do it to get it. So, like, even if you say it, it's not really going to even be enough. Like, you have to explain to them that in order to understand this, they have to do it. So I just wanted to repeat that message for my friend to you because it is very true. Next, Pasuk. Pasuk Dalid. Alei Asar v'alei Navel, alei Higayon v'chinar. So with all types of instruments, we're going to sing this Shira Hashem. Now, I, I mentioned in another class, the instruments are there in order to uplift us. Music has a very special koach to take us from a very, any mood, any mood in the world, put on that music and everybody's dancing. And that's the mood, that's the uplifted spirit we have to have when we're davening. You have gladdened me with your deeds. At the works of your hands, I will sing glad songs. So there's two different ways here of talking about the works of Hashem's hand. There's pu'ula, the pa'alacha, and then there's, there's the masa yadecha, there's the masa. So there's the pu'ula and there's the masa. There are two different ways of trying to explain something similar. What's the difference? Pu'ula is an act that Hashem is doing now, currently, at every moment of our life. It's, it's referring to the Ashkacha process that's happening in real time. And Maseh is creation that happened by Sheshus and Mabrashus that we benefit from every single day. So we're saying here, these, for these two, for both of them, I thank you and I, I praise you, Hashem, with a glad song. How great are your works, Hashem. How very subtle are your designs. So let's look at the words, Hashem's plans. It means Hashem's plans are so deep. They're so hard to understand. Hashem specifically made his system of reward and punishment so esoteric. It's just, we can't figure it out. What's going on here? Why are these people being punished? Why are those people having an easy life? It doesn't make any sense. So why does Hashem do this for? And the answer is that if Hashem would make it so crystal clear that all the good things happen to the people when they do good things and all bad things happen to the people when they do bad things, then it would be very hard for anybody to do a sin. We would basically lose our bechira chafshis, our free choice would be gone because it's like touching a stove. When, it, when it's hot, do, do you have free will whether you touch a hot stove? No, not really, because why on earth would you t- touch a hot stove? It's not even a yin to her for you. So Hashem realized, Hashem is, is, is making it this way because if it's not hard for us and if we have no bechira, then we don't really get much tzchar for believing in Hashem. So here Hashem is making it a little confusing so that we could choose, what do I want to do? Do I want to see the Yad of Hashem? Do I want to ignore it and just notice what's on the surface and not, and not delve in to really try to understand what's going on here? Pasuk Zayin. Ish ba'ar lo yeda, lo yavin 
An ignorant man cannot know. A fool cannot understand this. So a, there's, two, there's two different types of people being, being described over here. There's the ba'ar that doesn't understand this, and then there's the ksil that doesn't understand this. What I mean by understand this is they don't understand. They don't understand why Hashem is punishing one and not the other. They're just, you know, they're using it as a, a reason to be kind of like an atheist. Like, that's the atheist's biggest taina. Why are good people being punished? So how, why should I believe in God? So th- those people, they're the bar and the ksil. What's the difference between them? So the bar is the ignorant person who's really just not very bright. And the ksil, though, the ksil is a smart man. So what's the problem with him? He doesn't want to see the light because when we look, when we see, when we really understand that there's a Hashem and that he's involved in our life and that he gave us a Torah, it's inconvenient for, for these people, right? They, they're like, it's hard. It's hard. Once we understand all this, it's machai of us. We have an obligation now to step up and they don't want to have to do that. So they, they kind of just ignore the truth and they just don't, they don't delve into it. They don't look beyond the surface. Okay. So now here we are transitioning. So we, we, we praise Hashem. We said we praise Hashem with song. We said Hashem's ways are, are, are deep. We said we should give praise to Hashem in the boker and we should have a moon at night. We, we, we've been praising Hashem. And now we're switching gears here to our second part, to our second idea of Tzadik Viralo, Rosh Vitovo. And here we're going to understand what this is all about and why it is that way. Pasuk Ches. So, yeah, okay. Pasuk Ches. One second, did I? Yes. Befroch Rishayim Kimo Esev, Viatitu Kopo Ale Avem, Hishamdam Adeav. Though the wicked sprout and blossom like grass, it's only so that they may be destroyed forever. So, what does this mean? So, the Rishayim here are being compared to grass. Why? Because grass blossoms very abundantly and very quickly. The thing is, though, it's not durable. Things that, that, that you know, blossom so fast tend to be a little bit, uh, you know, not so strong. So, like, if you take a bench and you, you drag it across the grass, you, that's it. You destroyed all the grass that, that was there. It's, like, so easy to destroy it. So, too, Hashem says, I want to give these Hashem all of their rewards for whatever little mitzvahs they did here on this world. I'm just going to throw it all at them quickly so that when they come up to Olam Haba, I'm done with them. They, I, can, I can get rid of them now. I can just destroy them forever. They don't have any Olam Haba. Okay, so that's why the Rishonim are compared to grass. Pasuk Yod Gimel. Okay, I'm skipping Tes Yod, Yod Aleph, and Yod Beis. I'm going to Yod Gimel. Now we're going to look at the Tzaddik. Okay, so that was the Russia, the Russia who's like grass, who has, seems to have an amazing life, but then is going to be destroyed forever in the next world, just like grass, who sprouts quickly and beautifully, and then poof, it's gone, you know, for some little reason. Somebody, somebody may, you know, dug up a little grass, it's gone, it's easy to dig up, it's easy to destroy. Pasuk Yud Gimel. The righteous bloom like a date palm. They thrive like a cedar in Lebanon. Okay, so the tzaddik is compared to two different types of trees here. To a date palm, katamar, and to an erez, which is a cedar tree. Let's understand this for a minute. It's very symbolic. 
The date palm, what, what's, why is the tzaddik compared to the date palm? Because the date palm is a type of palm tree. And as you know, a palm tree is very straight and smooth and it has no leaves on, on, on the bottom part, no leaves on the middle part. All the leaves and all the fruit and everything is all the way on top, unlike any other type of tree. So too, the tzaddik, his whole life, he's toiling and working hard. When does his reward come? When does he see the fruits of his labor? In the next world. Later, in the next world, the schar is far, far greater than the schar that a person would get in this world. And the cedar tree, what's with the cedar tree? Why is he compared to that? Because the cedar tree is very good quality. The wood is used to make furniture. It's, it's, it's a very durable, good quality wood. And I grew, when I grew up, I had a cedar closet. I remember we had in the basement, we had this closet made out of the cedar wood, and it, was, it smelled, I remember what it smelled like. And basically, I don't know, I'm sure some of you have it too, basically um, all the old clothing that were not stained or ripped, that were like nicer, like, like a nice coat or like a clean baby's outfit that's like, you know, perfect, all the nice things were put into that cedar closet. And all the things that were stained were thrown away. So when we look at a tzaddik, it's, it's a kind of a similar idea. The tzaddik weeds out any bad ideas, any not holy things that he doesn't want to see or do or, or, or have, and he takes, in, he takes in all the pure holiness inside of him, and there he preserves it and he uses it in good ways. So that's why he's compared to the Erez, to the cedar tree also. Okay, so just to sum up this idea that we just said, the grass is compared to the Rishayim that sprouts quickly and gets destroyed quickly. And the tree, which takes a longer time to grow, it's slower growing and it's sturdy. It's going to remain standing and it's going to reap the rewards later in the next world. Pasuk Yodalit. Shesulim b'veis Hashem b'chatos alokeinu yafrichu. Planted in the house of Hashem, they flourish in the courts of our God. So here's the difference between a tzaddik and a tree. We use the tree as a metaphor. We're using a lot of plant metaphors. The difference is that a tzaddik is shesulim b'veis Hashem. He's planted not on the ground, but his neshama is originating from above, from the heavens. So a tzaddik is planted in the heavens, b'chatos alokeinu yafrichu, in the chatzar of Hashem, in the courtyard of Hashem, what's the courtyard of Hashem? The, this world is referred to as like a corridor, as a, as a hallway. So it can be considered also like a courtyard. So the chatzar is this world. It's just a courtyard. It's just a hallway to get to the next world, which is the main place. So in this, the chatzar salokeinu, in this world, yafrichu, the tzaddik blossoms in his potential, and he does mitzvot, and he learns Torah, and he earns in the next world. Pasuk Tesvav. In old age, they still produce fruit. They are full of sap and freshness. So it's saying here that when the tzaddik gets old, he's still, he's not, it's not, nothing is declining. He's still fresh. He's still producing fruit. How does this make sense? When things get older, we know they decline. So the Rambam explains, that a person who lives his life only to pursue physical comfort, what happens with him is that as he gets older, the demands of his body increase and become more intense with age. But as the wise man ages, and as his body grows weaker, 
he, he, he's able to ignore his desires even more, which allows his mind and his soul to improve and to flourish. And this is why the tzaddik and the chacham is going to just improve with age, like a fine wine. Pasuk test zayin. Lahagid ki yashar Hashem, attesting that, the, that Hashem is upright, my rock in whom there is no wrong. So here we're saying that the tzaddik, the, 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 the one who says that Hashem is yashar, the one who is lahagid baboker chasecha, that tzaddik who's mindful of his blessings, who has an intimate connection with Hashem, he knows, he knows that Hashem is suri, that Hashem is his rock, the law of lasabo, and that Hashem makes no mistakes. That it might seem like his judgment is off sometimes, but it's totally not. And he knows that. So to sum up, we discussed the importance of saying over all the good that Hashem does for us and how this helps us get through the darknesses and the laylos. And doing this enables us to, and, 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 and how doing this enables us to look past the surface and, and to see that just because the room is dark doesn't mean the room is a mess. Like if you're walking past your living room and the light is off, it doesn't mean that the room is flying. It could be you'll turn on the light and everything will be perfect and impeccable and exactly in its place, just like my house. Um, so we, we can't confuse. The, the, the atheist is confusing dark and messy. He's saying if it's dark, it's a mess, right? If I don't understand what Hashem is doing, it must be a mess. But one thing really doesn't have anything to do with the other. Sometimes you just have to turn that light on. You have to just establish that deep connection with Hashem through seeing all the evidence of Him in your life in order to turn that light on and to see more, to be able to, 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 to feel more the neatness of the room. Okay. So now I want to teach you a new process. And just as Hashem wants us to see past the surface, okay, when it comes to the ways of Hashem, he also wants us to be introspective into our own beliefs, into our own thoughts about ourselves, into our thoughts about others, into our thoughts about life. And just like we don't want to be a kseel and a bar when we're in our relationship with Hashem, we don't want to be that way in general. We want to be like Hashem. We want to be deep and introspective. So how can we do this? So tonight I'm going to teach you a, a fabulous process called challenging a belief. And this process is used by the best cognitive behavioral therapists out there. So now you could learn a way to do DIY therapy, do-it-yourself therapy. And the premise of this process is that everything originates with our thoughts. Our thoughts are the start of the chain. What's the chain? The chain starts with the thoughts, which leads to our emotions. What I'm thinking creates how I feel. Which, when, and how I feel creates my actions, what I end up doing. And my actions create my reality. So it's thoughts, emotions, action, and reality. So in order to prove your reality, you really need to start with the beginning, with the thought. So I'm going to teach you how to do this. I'm going to tell you what the steps are. And, then, and I'm going to plug in a, an example from, one of, from a client that I had that I did this process with her and so that you could really see how to do it on yourself. This is really DIY. You just learn how to do it, and you could do it on any belief and any thought that's causing you distress. Okay, so here we go. So the first thing you need to do 
is catch yourself in a distressing emotion. Those emotions are very valuable. When you're having a distressing, distressing emotion, say the words, I bless and accept this feeling. I just added that now. That wasn't part of my process here, but I'm just, as a side point, we think emotions are bad, but they're here to teach us so much, and if we tap into that, we could become so great through our emotions because they're, they're alerting us. They're alerting us to work that needs to be done. Okay? So I bless and accept this feeling, and it will take away your resistance to the feeling, which calms you and makes you feel better automatically. Okay? So you're going to catch yourself in a distressing emotion and ask yourself, like, what is the thought now? What is my thought that is fueling this emotion? So, example, this client comes in and says she's angry. Okay? She's angry at her husband, and I'm going to change some of the details here, so protect her privacy, for leaving the socks on the floor. Okay? That's a pretty, enough of a generic complaint. She's angry that he's leaving the socks on the floor, and we got to the bottom of it, right? We had to get to the bottom of it. What, what's underneath that? Why are you angry? What are you thinking? What's the thought about the socks on the floor? And we uncovered that the thought was, my husband does not care about me. Okay? She was thinking, you know, he, he does so much for everybody else at work. When people ask him to do things, he runs to do it. When I ask him 15 times to do something, he doesn't do it. He doesn't care about me. Okay, so now we uncovered the thought. Okay, that's the first step, very important. Now that we have the thought that he doesn't care about her, now we're going to ask three questions about this thought. So the first thing you ask your thought is, can you be certain that it's true? Can you know for sure that this is true? Okay, and of course, we can't be certain about anything in this world. So usually what this question does is it loosens the tooth a little bit, right? We get so stuck on our belief, and now we're loosening a little bit. So she can't be certain that it's true, okay? She's not certain. She feels very strongly, 99%, that her husband doesn't care about her because he leaves back from the floor, but she can't be certain. Okay, number two, the second question you're going to ask, what are the consequences of believing this thought? Who am I? What do, how do I behave? How do I feel when I believe this thought? Okay, so of course she says she gets resentful. She gets angry. The whole energy in the house is, is going, you know, getting negative. And the third question is, who would you be without this thought? If you weren't thinking that your husband doesn't care about you, what would things be like for you? Who would you be? And she says, I would just be so just light and airy and life would just be easier. And, you know, she gave all the positive things about that. So now, once you ask, you identify the thought. You ask, can you be certain that it's true? You ask, what are the consequences of believing this? And you ask, who would you be without this thought? Those things, those last two questions are really motivating. They, they kind of tell a person, when a person realizes what the thought is doing to them in their life and how negative it is, even if they're almost 99.9% true that that thought is right, they still want to give it up because it, it's, not, it's not serving them. It, it's, neg it's, it's, being, it's, a, it's a negative impact on their life, okay? So then, then you turn the thought around. You flip the thought around. So now she said, she has, I told her she has to flip it around. She said, my husband does care about me. Still, she's rolling her eyes a little bit, right? So then what do we need to do? We need to bring evidence to support her new statement. And guess what? She started remembering that he calls her during the day to check up on her, that he helps her with the kids, that he taught, his, that he taught her daughter how to ride a bike yesterday, 
dot, 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 dot. So this evidence then supported her, and she got she felt so much better. And now she was able to, we were able to establish that whenever she sees his socks on the floor, she's going to pivot. And she's going to say, and, and for all my listeners who know what pivoting is, she's going to pivot and she's going to say, quote, my husband cares about me in so many ways. And suddenly the socks are just not a big deal. They don't, they don't mean a thing. Okay, so just to review, challenging a belief is about identifying the distressing emotion and the thought, I'm sorry, identifying the thought underneath the distressing emotion. I notice my emotion. What is the thought? You really need a pen and paper for this type of work. Then you ask three questions about the thought. Number one, can I be certain that it's true? Number two, what are the consequences of believing it? Number three, who would you be without it? Then you flip the thought around. You make it the complete opposite, that he does care about me in so many ways, and you bring evidence to support your new belief. Okay? So just like we're supposed to see past the surface of Hashem's behavior, of the actions that Hashem does in this world, this principle also applies to seeing good everywhere else too to sing under everything else. And I read in Perkeavos this week, um, it said, Al ad don't believe in yourself until the day you die. And I said, ah, this is perfect for my class. This is exactly the point that I'm trying to illustrate over here. So many times we carry around beliefs with us from the past that are, really don't have anything to do with the present. Um, and, and they keep us stuck and they create bad things in our life. For example, uh, a person who, let's say they had an uncle who was mentally unstable and, and they had some trauma around dealing with that uncle, okay? And let's say one of their kids looks a little bit like that uncle or does one or two things, mannerisms like that uncle. So what, what's going to happen? All it takes is one, one wrong move. This kid comes out of bed and doesn't want to go back to sleep. And bam, you're... Over, this, you know, the mother's going to be overreacting and, and flipping out that this kid is turning into the uncle and her belief is going to be this kid is going to be mentally unstable like my uncle. And could you see what happens now? Now she's going to actually treat him that way and it's, going to, it's kind of going to like not be very good for his chances in life as opposed to getting underneath that and seeing beyond the surface and challenging that belief and realizing that really he's a great kid and here's the evidence to support it. And it's not true that he's mentally unstable or that he's going to become that way. Okay? So any belief that you have, don't believe it. Don't, don't be so quick to believe it. Don't believe that you're not worthy of making money and being wealthy and only those rich people on the other side of the street could have money, but I, I never had, so I can't have money. And don't believe that your weight or your appearance somehow make you less than in, in Shaduchim or, or in a job market or in any way. Or don't believe that someone doesn't like you and they're out to get you or they're jealous of you. You decide what you want to believe and what you don't want to believe. And that's the Chiddush here. We, we can choose to not to believe things that are harmful for us. And we can choose to yes believe things that are beneficial for us. You and only you control what you believe. So tonight we spoke about gaining renewed energy to come up with a way of speaking about Hashem's chesed in our personal life, and we learned a clear process of challenging beliefs, of looking beyond the surface of our feelings and our beliefs. And we all have our work cut out for us this week, 
So let's get started practicing it all. Thank you all for listening, and have a great night.